Good morning. Today we're finishing up a short message series on spiritual roots, some of the things that help us stay deeply connected to God. And today's topic is a familiar sounding word, salvation. But I'm not sure salvation means what you think it means. Let's hear how Jesus talked about salvation from a story that you've probably heard before from in the Gospel of of Luke chapter 19. But try to hear it with fresh ears. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Salvation, that's a real churchy word. It's a spiritual sounding word. It could be the most religious word in the English language, maybe second only to the word God. But though it's a familiar word, I'm not sure most people really know what it means. And the activity of salvation, of being saved, that phrase conjures up a lot of feelings, images, and emotions, both positive and negative, you know, depending on who you are and what you've experienced in life. In the secular realm, the word salvation or being saved is used in a positive way, sort of synonymously with the idea of rescue. You know, the Coast Guard helicopter crew bravely battled the high seas and saved the family from the sinking yacht. Salvation is a rescue. That's how the word salvation finds itself, uh, finds its way into a lot of movie titles like, you know, Terminator Salvation. Someone is coming to the rescue. And that idea is definitely included in the Bible's understanding of the word salvation. And so titles like Redeemer and Deliverer and Rescuer. In the book of Psalms alone, God is described as a rescuer more than 25 times. Like in Psalm 71 verse 2 where it says, In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. And this is where I think a lot of people get confused about the meaning of the word salvation. Because for many folks, their idea of salvation has to do with what happens when you die. When you stand before God's judgment seat, salvation is all about being saved from the consequences of your sin. But at that future moment, being saved from hell or condemnation or separation from a holy God. Salvation is something that happens in the future And that's part of salvation. Don't misunderstand me. There is this glorious freedom and joy that comes in knowing that Jesus died to save us from our sins, to be the substitute who took our sin and shame on himself and through his death vicariously paid the debt that we could not pay. Salvation is a future experience of forgiveness and grace and welcome into God's kingdom. But that's not the main way salvation is presented in Scripture. 
When the Bible talks about salvation, it normally is referring to something that is happening right now. Something happening in the here and the now, in this world, not in the next. Salvation is about your life experience with God right now, not in some, just in some future heavenly courtroom. Throughout both the Old and the New Testament, salvation is all about encountering God right now and what that will do for you right now. Salvation is about change. And the message is that it is never too late to change. Salvation through Jesus Christ means that you do not have to be locked into what you have been or what you have done. You don't have to be a prisoner of your past. There is a new way to live. And the possibility of being saved in this life is God's gift to everyone. That's what we see in the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. This encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus is sort of a case study on the meaning of salvation. Zacchaeus was Jewish by heritage, but he wasn't a religious guy. Money was his God. Making money, keeping money, covering his assets, that was his religion. The story tells us that he was not just a tax collector, he was chief tax collector. Top of the organizational chart, corner office, you know, with a view. His job was to collect from the Jewish people of Israel, his own people, the funds that were due to the occupying uh, nation of Rome. Zacchaeus is in the employ of Rome. He's collaborating with the enemy. The Romans calculated a certain amount that he needed to collect and gave him the freedom to collect it any way he could. So he could put the squeeze on his own people with impunity because the power of Rome was there to back him up. And if he collected more than what was required, well, guess whose pocket that went into? The text tells us that Zacchaeus had become quite wealthy. He was good at it. He was good at oppressing his own people. What does that do to you when you're successful at being cruel? When you're really good at, at cheating people, when you are rewarded for being greedy, when you are rewarded for being self-centered or self-focused and insulated maybe from the suffering you cause in the lives of others, what does it do to you when your personal mission statement in life reads, get as much while you can before it's gone, and the rest of the poor dumb suckers in the world are on their own? What happens is a callus begins to develop. A callus over your heart. If you ever work with, you know, garden tools or you start to learn how to play the guitar, you get a new pair of shoes, you know, you can work up a blister pretty easily. When something is rubbing against your skin, the irritation turns to a blister. And then if you keep doing it enough, the skin starts to die. And it will keep, and if you keep doing it, the skin builds up and thickens into a callus. There's no feeling in that dead skin, so you no longer feel the pain of the rubbing that first caused the blister. Look at the fingertips of a guitar player. The fingertips on one hand, usually the left hand, are callous because of the repeated pressure put against the guitar's strings. That's one reason why a lot of people who are first learning how to play the guitar, they give up because it just hurts too much at first as the calluses begin to form. The human heart is that way. When we feel pain, when we experience hurt of any kind, one way we try to cope with that pain is to protect ourselves from feeling that pain again. A love relationship blossoms, but along the way there's a misunderstanding or, or a wounding. 
we get hurt or we hurt someone else. And there's a sense of betrayal maybe, a stubborn pride kind of emerges. And then a silence, a loss of intimacy, a distance. Why? Because in our humanness, we don't want to be hurt again. So we close off part of ourselves. A callus builds up so that we don't feel like we used to feel. The, the fear of future pain is, is like the pain we went through. Well, that shuts things down, and so we harden, we protect. Emotionally, we pull in like a turtle going back into its shell. We can also deaden the conscience in the same way. Take, take something simple like shoplifting. The first time someone steals from a store, well, that was an impulse, and not sure where it came from, probably doesn't matter where the impulse came from, but you wanted something and you took it. You got away with it. The normal person feels some guilt about this action. And then you have a choice. You either listen to your conscience or you begin to silence it. The second time you steal, the voice of your conscience is a little softer. Pretty soon you can't hear it at all. The same scenario plays out in so many areas of life. We lie because it's convenient or we don't want to get caught. It's just easier than to lie again. It's easier every time. We fudge our expense reports. We don't feel guilty about it at all. We see how that works. We, we deaden the conscience. We don't feel it anymore. And people can end up doing some horrendous things, and then they seem so blasé or indifferent. Well, why? It's because over time, a callus has grown over their heart. We all do this to varying degrees. It's something that happens to every human soul, either to protect ourselves from being hurt or to deaden the voice of conscience, a callous grows over our hearts. We become callous to the voice of God. And so we shut off parts of our life. We silence parts of life. We become less than what we could be. Sort of like the barnacles that grow on the bottom of a ship. This, it slows us down. It corrodes our infrastructure. It prevents us from being the people we were created to be. It's what the Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard called a sickness unto death. And often, we don't see it at all. We're completely blind to our predicament because it happens so slowly. We don't see it happening. And that's why we get these words from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? It's Jeremiah 17, 9. Who can understand it? Who has the ability, the courage to peel back the callus and to look at the wounded heart? Because when you peel back the callus, that hurts. And you may see some ugly things, ugly things that you're trying to forget or ugly things about yourself that you don't want to face. How do you peel back the callus and really have a look? How do you do that without slipping into despair or even depression? Better just to have a drink or pop a pill or stay busy. Just be insanely busy because then you never have time to think. Just buy stuff and then buy more stuff. Those are all ways that we can kind of mask the pain any way we can. Or, or you find a way to put the broken pieces back together. Not on your own, at least you're at least wise enough to know that you can't do that because you've tried. Maybe you've had some short-term success, but then it turns out, you know what, you're your own worst enemy. Your best efforts to reform or repair yourself end in self-sabotage. The Apostle Paul describes this awareness in his life in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Paul's peeling back the callus. He's gaining this awareness of his inner life. He's getting a clearer picture of his own heart, a deeper understanding of his own behavior and emotions, and he sees the self-sabotage. And he realizes that he does not have what it takes to go further. He's beginning to see the enormity of the problem. But he is out of solutions. What a wretched man I am. If the story ended there, his life would have been labeled a tragedy. But his story does not end there. In fact, this is really where his story has its beginning. He continues, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will rescue? Who will deliver? Those are salvation words. A force from outside himself has to come to the rescue. The Coast Guard helicopter is on the horizon. A power beyond his own is able to deliver him. Where does this salvation come from? From Jesus Christ who is Lord. Do you remember what I said about salvation? That it's all about change? And the change that salvation brings is primarily relational. A change in relationship with God leads to changes within oneself, which then moves outward to changes in your relationship with others. You now have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where God is not your enemy. God is the one who made you and knows you best and knows best how to rebuild what is broken. God is the one who brings this infusion of of love and forgiveness and mercy and strength and power, grace into this calloused heart. It's a transfusion of his life and nature into yours, and what then happens is that your heart begins to soften. You begin to have a different relationship with yourself, and honesty emerges. Fear begins to fade. A sense of security surrounds because Jesus is your rescuer, deliverer, sustainer, healer, friend. He is your salvation. His life begins to pump into yours. Isaiah 12, 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 62, verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. Salvation is something that's here and now. God's life flowing into your life so that your life can be different right now. Not just in some future eternity. It will be different then too, but today is the day of salvation. And because of Christ's rescue, you can risk this further look into your heart and into the hearts of others. You can risk revealing that true self. You can risk rejection Risk entering that painful place where forgiveness needs to happen. Risk starting those conversations long silenced. Because Christ is in you, you are not the same. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. God has done all this. He has restored our relationship with him through Christ and has given us this ministry of restoring relationships. That's the Good News translation. 
When someone becomes a Christian, when someone experiences the salvation of Jesus, he or she becomes a brand new person inside. You can't encounter the grace of Christ and welcome that grace into your heart and stay the same. Change is inevitable. A new life has begun. In fact, if there is no change in you, then you may need to seriously reflect on the possibility that you may not actually be a Christian. If there is no fruit, chances are there is no root. You can be religious and yet have no relationship with Christ. You can be religious and have no roots into him at all. The Pharisees certainly show us that. Very religious, but stone cold dead in their souls. Salvation bring change. And so there's Zacchaeus up a tree. Somehow there's been a growing awareness in his heart. Maybe Zacchaeus' heart isn't as cold and dead as people might assume, but something has been stirring in him for a while. Something that made him curious about this Jesus and his traveling circus of misfits and outcasts. Curious about this message of new beginnings. After all, when you think about it, Zacchaeus is sort of a stray mutt. His own people reject him, hate him for collaborating with the enemy, sticking it to them with the taxes. And the Romans, I mean, he's not one of them either. He's just their lackey, and they don't respect him. No one, no one respects a traitor, not even the people that he works for. So the only social circle he has are other disreputable people like himself. And those are just kind of what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of relationships. Have you ever fostered or adopted a stray or abandoned dog? Often they'll stand at a distance, their tails kind of tucked in, because they're afraid to draw near. They're afraid of being hurt or mistreated. If a dog has been abandoned or abused or mistreated, pushed away, it can become distrusting and even a little snippy. You can almost tell when a dog is a long-time stray. They have a tendency to, to growl and to bark or even bite when people come near. Zacchaeus is like that dog. No place to belong. He has earned some of that through his own growling and biting, his own bad decisions. But he still is wanting something. And so he's standing at a distance behind the crowd. Up the tree he goes, not to be seen, but to see. And Jesus and his entourage come down the dusty road. He rocks directly to the tree where Zacchaeus is perched. And he looks at him. And I love that. Jesus looked at him. And what do you think Jesus saw? Did he look at him like all the other people did? Did he see all of Zacchaeus' failures and fractures and faults? Did, did Jesus see him and judge him based on you know, his externals, his size, his expensive clothes? Did Jesus label him you know, a sinner, a hopeless case, a waste of time? No, Jesus saw him through the eyes of grace, saw his value in God's eyes, saw the preciousness of his soul, saw what he could be by God's transforming power. And in one simple act, he swept away all of the barriers Zacchaeus had erected to keep his heart safe from God. It was like a big ocean wave. Uh, Jesus came and washed away the sad little sandcastle of Zacchaeus' life, just cleaned the beach. A simple act of acceptance. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That's all he said. That's all he did. But in those words, he communicated so much. He communicated God's acceptance. He crossed the threshold towards Zacchaeus. Jesus made the move towards him. And that's all it took. The whole way Zacchaeus had built his life. The entire scaffolding he used to hold his life together. Suddenly, crashed down. 
the selfishness, the money, the false security, the false idol of wealth, it all collapsed in that one simple love statement as, as it washed over him. And immediately there were consequences. Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. Zacchaeus wasn't you know, trying to make some grand gesture to impress Jesus. His whole value system had suddenly shifted. Money used to be the center of gravity for him, no more. As the life of Jesus flowed into him, he let go of all that had enslaved him. The fear of losing money, the fear of losing control. Well, he found a new security in this encounter with Jesus that was so freeing that he was able just to let it all go. God's justice and mercy had infected his heart, cleansed his soul, and so salvation came into his heart. And it was immediately visible because of the change it brought to his finances. Do you think we'd get more or fewer converts if we told people that putting your life into God's hand must affect what you do with your money? Jesus seemed to think so. Salvation, a right here and now encounter with the transforming power of Christ. Zacchaeus was think, wasn't thinking about his eternal destiny at all when salvation came to him. He was saved because of what he needed right now. Zacchaeus, salvation did not come to Zacchaeus because he accepted Jesus. Salvation came because Jesus accepted him. You know, we talk about a person accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Maybe we've got that language backwards. What really happens is the person realizes that they are accepted by Jesus. They realize that Jesus makes them acceptable. You see the difference? Jesus accepts you. Jesus makes you acceptable. That's salvation. That was Jesus' mission. It was his reason, his goal, his objective, his purpose. To come to, the, to uncallous the human heart and to make it alive through the infusion of, of grace and love and power that comes from God. Salvation has come to this house. What a, what a glorious thing to say. Salvation has come to this house. Has it come to yours? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of salvation, not just in some eternal scenario in the future, but right now salvation comes so that we might be cleansed and renewed and find a new path in life, new purpose, new direction, new power, a new way to live because that's what you have planned for us, Lord. To live in harmony with you, to live in step with you, to live connected to the God who loves us, Lord. We are so grateful that salvation begins today, that today is the day of salvation, Lord. And if there's anyone here who has not seen your acceptance, has not experienced that you accept them, we pray, Lord, that they would make that step and believe and recognize and call upon you to be their rescuer, their deliverer, their savior. We thank you for the gift of salvation, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.